Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 14 here on the podcast, and our special guest today is Athletic Director Mike Bobinski. So, Mike, welcome aboard. Good to be here. So, uh, we'll look back at the uh, the week that was with uh, Purdue Basketball. A good week, a couple wins over top 25 teams good, starting with... Good week? Well, <laughs> It was a yeah. great week. And secondly, I'm going to interrupt. Um, how long was I with Coach Katie? 25 years, right? Yeah. How come I'm off mic? Sounds like I'm off mic. But anyway... I was with them for 25 years, and I get my bobblehead today. Yeah, absolutely. When was bobblehead day? It was a couple weeks ago, yeah, but okay, you're always late to the party. That's not you nothing new for you. Uh, a great week, as Cliz referenced. Uh, win over Northwestern here on uh, February 1st, and then the big win in College Park over Maryland. Um, Cliz, just your initial thoughts on the, the two big victories of our ranked opponents. Well, I thought the game at uh, Maryland was one of the best I've ever seen in terms of the you know, the final score, where it was played, how the game was won, the the activity as the game concluded, which was insane, and and then to come out of there with a win. First time in my career I was mad at the officials after a win that I could, you know, I was still boiling. But it was, uh, man, it was tough. You know, you've heard me say this before, Elliot, it was top five for me. I just thought it was great. What people don't understand unless you're there, is how difficult it was for Isaac and uh, Carson to make those free throws. Right. They went four for four, and and I I don't think they're I, – I could take a whole lot of pro teams and put two guys – put Irving and, and um, you know, LeBron together and have them, and I don't know. I don't know if they could do that. That I mean, is that is true, and we had and we've been a good free throw shooting team all year, yeah, great. which is that's your one of your biggest things, and uh, we shot at a high clip, but to do it in that pressure, that's a, that's another well, level Matt, there. I, Matt always tells me, you know, in those years I was moaning and groaning, we're at 67 percent, and I didn't understand this. He said, "Well, you," he said, "I, I said I'm hundred years old and I can do it," and uh, he said, "You sound like all our fans." I said, "Well," <laughs> I said, "Well." I don't. I don't think it's that hard to do. He said, "Well, it's a lot harder to do when you're sitting in here when there's not one person in the stands and you think you can make 75 percent of them, and these guys got a hit in front of 17,500 hostile fans on the road when you're tired, right? Oh. When the pressure, when your heart's beating a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And, but I'm. But I'm saying. But I'm saying that game. That game Saturday was like, wow. And I told Isaac, you know, after it was all over. And I know, you know, people, you know, even some of our fans, even winning, said, oh, boy, you know, Isaac could have been the big goat. Yeah, he could have been. And uh, maybe he did something he probably shouldn't have done, although I, I'll stand here for the rest of my life and say that thing never should have been called in the first place. But having said it, and it was legitimate, I told him after we landed and picked up the luggage, I said, hey, big guy, I just want to tell you this. Don't feel bad about anything you did because what you did, making those two free throws, we don't win that game unless you do that. Right. So thank you and way to go. Well, and there's 40 minutes in every game. And when you have a game that close, I mean, we got down in that game nine in the first half, 12 in the second half, then five late, and every time overcame those deficits. And if any little thing goes something some way different yeah. down the stretch there right. it can be a different outcome as, as Cliz said earlier I think the key to that whole game and what you take away from that is it wasn't one where anything came easy 
You know, right. We didn't come out and shoot 75% from the three. We, we didn't do anything crazy. We had to scrap and claw and, and then do it again and do it again right. and ultimately find a way to have the have the, the guts at the end of the game to make big free throws and, and win a game. That's that's not easy to do. Yeah, and I, think, and I think the teams in the past, even this team with our core guys that are now a junior class, I'm not so sure in their freshman and sophomore years if they get over the hump like that. I don't that. think they do. I don't think they do, and there's been questions whether they could do it this year. And that's what's so cool about this, because you win by one point at Ohio State by hitting a free throw late. Right. You win this game, you win at Michigan State, coming from behind again. We don't talk about, we talk about, well, we're not able to close some games, but we don't talk about some of these comebacks we've had this year. Notre Dame, too. Georgia State. Right. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame. Uh, we're down 18 in Louisville, second half, cut it to four. We never got it to a one-possession game, but became, but came awful close. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, in this game, 12 with 13, 23 to go, and we were three out of 13 from three at that particular time. So, uh, and I, if you if if you just watch the game, how Biggie would hit just monumental shots every time we had to have them, or PJ shot, or Klein's two shots. Dakota's one. It was like every one of them was like, we don't get this shot. Yeah. We may lose. Right, it was beautiful. Right. It was beautiful. And, yeah. and and you know what I said after the game, and I said, I just, I feel Maryland's pain, and I love it. <laughs> you, did, you did say that, and I think you took a little joy in walking out of there with a quiet building, as we all did. That's one of the, the best feelings in sports when you get a row win like that. And that win important because it's our best RPI win to date. helps you know boost the the March resume, uh, and then back to the Northwestern game, um, a game that maybe at the beginning of the year you look at and you don't necessarily circle on your calendar, but one that's certainly uh, a lot of implications coming down the stretch here in the league race, and, and Northwestern had just broken in the top 25 that week, playing extremely well, and probably, Mike, going to be a tournament team in, in all likelihood. Yeah, it looks like they're going to break that uh, forever streak that they've had of not being in the darn thing but uh, you know they're, they're a really solid team Chris Chris Collins has done a great job building that program from from where it was to where it is today and they are not an easy out they are not the Northwestern right. of old by right. any stretch and uh, it, it was a challenge we, we played really well and did, did what we needed to do uh, but we've got to go back up there and that, that won't be easy when we, oh, when we go I, up to, go I up to Northwestern I think they're a really good team I mean I really liked them and of course they didn't have you know their best player Scotty Lindsay and Tell anybody if you don't have your bet, you know, hey, take Swanigan off our team. You don't think we're facing an uphill battle on the road against the ranked team? Well, we would. And so, yeah, I agree with Mike, man. We we still have to go there. So, well, before we get into uh, a little bit of Mike's background, um, looking ahead real quick, only one game this week, but but what a game it is uh, at Indiana on Thursday night. The rivalry continues, um, and I think. Uh, you know, it's cliche to say you can throw out the records and all that business, but it is true. Anytime you're in a rivalry game, Mike, you've been around rivalries, um, you know, your whole career. It, it you're always going to get their best shot, no matter what the what the circumstances are. No question, and uh, you know, the basketball in in this part of the country, in this state, between these two institutions, it doesn't get any bigger or any more intense than that. If you're a player, you you got you live for these moments. You've right. got to. If you if you've got a pulse, you you live for these kind of moments. The chance to go down there in their environment and again as you said try to create that great feeling which is was quiet in the home crowd and walking out of there with a win that's that it doesn't get any better than that and uh, you know there's been precedent set for years on you know when we used to play them twice every year you know you could lose by 40 at one place and then come home and beat them by two like we did in 91 or two whenever that was when Calvert was playing and right. second in the country 
I mean, down there, I think I said on the air, caught a lot of caught a lot of stuff for it. When I said I think we should put up the white flag right now. It was, I think it was one hundred six to sixty three or something like that. So, but we came back and beat them, you know, in the same season. And I remember one year they came into here and beat us like twenty two at Mackey when we had a heck of a team, and then we turned the tables down at their place in the same year. So. Yeah, I don't. It doesn't matter when you're playing. I mean, and that, that great team they had just a few years ago. I mean, they embarrassed us here at home, if you right. recall. So, I think our worst loss ever here. Right. So, um, yeah, you, you've seen a lot of things in this thing. Yeah, t- typically, and you never know how any particular game's going to play out. But when you go on the road in a rivalry game, you've got to be able to withstand the early punch. You know, the the fact that they're going to probably come out sky high jacked up the crowd's gonna be with them and you've got to be able to weather that storm yep. and then just not not dig a hole that you can't get out of and just not not get that deer in the headlights looking if you can handle that then it then it's on then it's a game absolutely but i will, but I will say this mike and I, and I really believe this of our team i don't i don't know if there's a deficit now look louisville got us down 33 to 19 but but they were playing great defense and we seemed to be afraid and yep. didn't seem to be confident yeah, a little out of sorts haven't felt that old about our team since, to be honest with you. But I think we have, I, I will say this, I mean, the other day we were down 11-2 to start the game in a hostile place, and I looked at Blackman at the end of the first time out, I said, don't bother me in a bit. I said, we'll get back into this game, we'll pop them with a couple of threes and all, and heck, it wasn't, you know, four minutes later we were fine. Well, that's the thing about this, about our team, is we can beat you in different ways, but we do have that three-point capability. And yeah, I think Matt big. referenced it the other night, and maybe it was in the post game that that changes so much when you're able to, you know, pop in a couple threes. In fact, in the second half when we were down 12, we made back-to-back threes and got it to six in the blink of an eye. Exactly. And that's a huge difference. Ran off 11 in a row. And like you said, I mean, we got back down to, um, like you said, it was 65-60 when Isaac got the when it was all said and done, when he got the tack. And, uh, you know, that was right about the time when, you know, this game's on the line. And, you know, and then uh, Biggie hit him with another three. Right. Just whap! And, you know, you're right back. I mean, you're right there back into a possession game just with one shot. And we've been doing a lot of that all year. And, you know, we didn't have a chance in Nebraska because we had three possessions. We never got a shot. Yeah. But, you know, if we had the shot, I'd feel pretty good if we would have had a clean shot at it. So Yeah. Well, we're all looking forward to Thursday night, and uh, I know, uh, Mike, you'll, that'll be your first official IU-Purdue basketball game, so I know you're looking forward to that. Definitely. want to talk a little bit about your background. So talk us through, um, played collegiate baseball at Notre Dame. Yes, sir. Talk us through that decision-making process and kind of your collegiate baseball career. <laughs> it's a, there's not a lot to say about that at this point in time. <laughs> but, uh, I can't even put a happy face on that deal but, uh, as I sit here tonight. But, I, you know, for me, it was a great opportunity to be able to attend a school like Notre Dame. It's the only way, that's, that's why athletics has meant so much to me during the course of my work in life because it provided me that opportunity. I couldn't have done it otherwise. My family couldn't have afforded to send me there. So I, it gave me a great opportunity, and, I, and I'm forever appreciative of that. You know, back, that was back in the day when Notre Dame baseball was – we had it because they needed a couple men's sports. It wasn't <laughs> – they really didn't give a give much of a, a darn about what we were doing or how we were doing it. But that being said, it was still a great experience. You, yet, you know, those things – the experiences you have with your teammates, it, it, it was awesome. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm glad I had the chance to do it. Now, did you know you wanted to play baseball collegiately? Yeah, you know what – I. I was one of those guys. I went from football season to basketball season to baseball season. I played them all, and I yeah. loved them all. Uh, but at the end of the day, I had a big arm, and I, I, I knew that that was where I was going to ultimately have the chance to do to do 
the bigger things and so I, I had that opportunity come my way and uh, again I'm, I'm very grateful for it I've got the shoulder surgeries to prove it at this point in time <laughs> but you know that comes with the territory and any um, who did it come down to was it a no-brainer you're going to Dame, or did you have some some sleepless nights deciding where you're going uh, to go you know what my other choices were none they were all pretty good baseball schools but none were the kind of school they weren't the caliber of Notre Dame they weren't that mm-hmm. profile so when the Notre Dame thing actually happened when they when their coach called me and said hey we'd like to offer you some money to do this uh, my high school principal called my mom and dad and I in his office I'll never forget it God rest his soul and he said you know to my mom and dad Bruno Phyllis my, my parents he said I He's not my son, but if he was, I don't, I'd do whatever I could to get him out there for one year. Beg, borrow, steal to make up the difference, but but let him have that experience. If it doesn't work out, he doesn't like it, he can't afford it, that's fine. But but don't not do it for one year. And in that meeting, my, my parents said, we're going to do that. And so there it was. That was that was a... That was that moment in time, and, uh, and from there it was it was all good. Now, were you in the room like, what the heck's going on here? Or were you yeah. like, yeah, this is good? No, I thought it was good. I <laughs> okay. thought it was really good. Yeah, I was excited about it. Yeah. That's cool. So after Nor- after your uh, career at Notre Dame, then talk us through kind of what led you into getting into athletics. Is it something – did you ever have the coaching bug, or did you – did you know you wanted to get an administration? I didn't know uh, that I was even going to end up in this world. I spent five years in the business world, three years in, uh, in back in the Northeast in New York area in public accounting. I passed the CPA exam, so I was headed down that path. Figured out like in a week that hey, this isn't it. This is this is not going to be the answer for me, <laughs> which was really disappointing. You know, you study for four yeah. years and then week into it, you say, "Oh my God, this isn't going to work." That's good. Point. <laughs> headed down to Disney, worked for Disney for a couple of years down in their finance division in Orlando, so I got a chance to to kind of break out of that out of the pure accounting world mm-hmm. and then I heard about an opportunity back at Notre Dame in the athletic department purely by accident a buddy of mine called me and said hey I was at a Notre Dame basketball game in Madison Square Garden last night and I heard that a fellow named Steve Orsini was leaving Notre Dame to go work for the Dallas Cowboys well I knew Steve he, he and I were he was a year ahead of me in school we were friends so I said I gotta call him and congratulate him so I just called him and said this is great awesome course of the conversation I said hey who's taking over because Steve was my contact for tickets and okay. yeah, so that's I, a big I deal needed to know who was who was next man up in this deal and uh, he said well they haven't filled it yet but they're looking for somebody with our background he had the same kind of financial background that I did wow. I said no kidding so that led him to go talk to his boss me to call my old baseball coach and a month later they're offering wow. me the job to go up there and and from there I coached a little bit when I got up there because uh, I, I did want to do that. If I was going to be in this business, I wanted to experience the coaching life a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I just spent a couple seasons with the baseball program. Uh, but I was actually hired to run the ticket office. That's where I began my career in athletics. And wow. from there, it just I was fortunate to have opportunities come my way. And uh, five years at Notre Dame, then led to five years at the Naval Academy. Ultimately became the number two guy there during my time. And uh, and then I, after 10 years in it, I said, I know everything there is to know about this business. It's time for me to be an AD. <laughs> well, I, I, got, I got an athletic director job at the University of Akron, and I found out I didn't know a darn thing. I, mean, I, I thought I knew. I didn't know anything because all of a sudden, every decision that you have questioned or criticized is now your decision. And so I, I, I learned in a hurry that uh, be careful what you wish for. But it was a great, great, great learning uh, opportunity for me. Spent a little under five years there, and then I had a chance to go down to Xavier uh, in Cincinnati. Uh, spent 15 years at Xavier. Uh, great people. We were able to accomplish lots of really, really good things, yeah. and, uh, and 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 that's where I really got deep into the, the college basketball world. I mean, that's what we were about there. Right. You know, it was it was men's women's basketball, and you know we were trying to be good at lots of other things, but that's what we were about. And so I, during that time, I had a chance to be on the NCAA men's basketball committee. Ultimately, was the chairman of that. So I was had, had lots of great experiences that I that I treasure and that. Uh, 
have, have helped me in my career in, in lots of ways. And uh, after 15 years there, headed down to Georgia Tech uh, in Atlanta for a couple of years and uh, almost four years down there. And then the Purdue opportunity came my way. So I've, I've been all over the darn place, but I've I have enjoyed every single stop. I've learned from every stop. And, and to me, this is sort of the, the pinnacle of, of all of that that's come beforehand. I, I couldn't be more thrilled to be here at Purdue. It's been a great five months, five months in a week or whatever the heck it is. Uh, great people, great opportunity to do really, really big things, I think, in the years ahead. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, you mentioned Akron. I was born in Akron, grew up in Warren, and went to Kent State. There you so go. I, so oh, feel, my God. So I feel like a connection to there you already. Go. But you know, where did you grow up? Where were you I, from? I grew up in Long Island, on the on the eastern half of, of Long Island, of, to a born to a potato farming family, which uh, these days people would call me a liar if they said that's what you what you did, but that's a fact. We were, we were potato farmers. I had no idea they had yeah. potatoes in Long Island. Yes, yeah, they did. Not anymore, I don't think. Very maybe. few. There's, there's a handful. Most of them are vineyards or golf courses at this point. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Well, I wanted to ask you, I had a lot of that stuff, uh, some of your stops, some of the questions yeah. I had, especially, and it, I think it's appropriate when we get into this week, with it's rivalry week in college basketball, yeah. um, the the Xavier Cincinnati rivalry. That's that's one of the ones when you, uh, the people who really know basketball. I mean, I think mo- the casual fan that maybe is not um, as interested in college basketball as a whole as maybe some of us are, they're always going to go to the Duke Carolina game. Right. Um, but that the Xavier Cincinnati rivalry is right up there with any of them. And I know you you lived in that for a long time. I lived in it in, in every way. I, I was I lived in it when we beat them when they were ranked first in the country uh, with Kenyon Martin and other. I mean, just we, we had many many unbelievable battles with with with, uh, with our crosstown right. We we're literally three miles apart from each other, so yeah. you got this incredible proximity. Our guys all knew each other. They all played in the summer with each other. The fans all work with each other you know you got Xavier people sitting in this desk and Cincinnati person over there yeah. so it's it's all year it never goes away I mean it, it's it's just on at all times and uh, it, it made for a tremendous environment I mean the game was like a, it was like a bowl game I and mean, we had a we had an event two days before the game then you had something the day day of and then I mean it was but but nothing tasted better than a than a cold bear after a win on that one. Yeah, you, and I we, bet to the to add to the theater with Bob Huggins on the other side. Oh line. baby, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bob, Bob was uh, and I and I've come to really I, I have a great relationship. I love Bob. I mean, he's you know he's he's one of the people in this world that he he's not trying to fool anybody right. or charm anybody. Yeah, he exactly. Is, he is who he is. Yes, and, yes, and yes. I appreciate that about him. There is no nonsense about that guy whatsoever. <laughs> and I, I, I really like Bob. He's a smart guy. And a, we all do. I mean, we all do, and I don't. I, I, I just a lot of things I can't figure out. He has an incredible personality. Yeah. It's larger than life, and he he has a way. I mean, he just has a way of including you, no matter who you are, yeah. and. You just end up liking him, and you think, you know, hey, Bob, you know, like you might have gotten 13 years here at UC and never graduated a guy, and you're thinking this is totally against any thought that you would have about running a college <laughs> program. Then you sit down and you say, man, I love I love Bobby. Yeah. I love Huggy Bear. Well, we got to know him. We played them uh, two home-and-homes in over a five-year stretch. We played them four times, and uh, and they were, they were good games. The one game we had here at the time, we were ranked – uh, sixth in the country, they were third in the country, right. or maybe vice versa, on a New Year's Day game, and we gave it to them pretty good. And it was a pretty good atmosphere here, and I ne- I'll never forget when we were shaking the hands after the game was over, and this is when he was at West Virginia, and, and uh, he 
grabbed Coach Painter. He said, that was great. He goes, that's what we needed. He goes, we need something like that. That'll do us pretty good. And they ended up making the Final Four that year. But Rob had played in a USA basketball. Rob Hummel played with the USA that summer before. And he said, I got a text right afterwards that said, Coach said, get your shoes ready. When we get back home, we're practicing. He goes, thanks, thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> so Rob told that story, and suddenly our guys thought they didn't have it as bad as they thought they did with, with you know, our staff. The thing about the uh, Xavier-Cincinnati rivalry, and I've heard people say this just to me off the cuff, and I think it's people who do not have a great understanding of college basketball. Xavier has been a heck of a program since the um, 90s. Early '90s, I guess, late '80s, maybe, and they—I mean—they've been consistently good. Of course, during his reign, uh, they've been consistently good ever since. I right. mean, you know, you just don't. People say, "Well, hey, you bring up Zabe." No, they're—they're—they have one heck of a program. And of course, Cincinnati goes back to my founding days when I was a little kid when they won back-to-back national championships. So they have a great program too, and always have. And so. We I always, always kind of get a kick out of it when people say, well, you know, hey, Cincinnati, Z. no, that, that's, that's big league. Right. We had a great game against them in uh, in Indianapolis, again, the old Pacers in Market Square Arena. And I don't know if you were AD there or not I at was. that time. Yeah. I was there. I was and there. that came yeah. down to the wire. And I remember Cardinal diving on a ball and throwing it down the other end as the clock expired. Yeah. And it was a heck of a game. Yeah, there was some uh, – as you said, a lot of great teams over the years, and they've always uh, always consistently done well. They're a top 25 team again this year, and uh, no signs of slowing down. I wanted to talk to you a lot about your your role in the selection committee. Absolutely. So before you become chairman, and it, it may have changed, you know, it may change yearly, I don't know, but uh, typically how many years are you, uh, when you get on the committee, how many years are you on the committee, and then talk a little bit about the time commitment that takes, because yeah. you, you're basically tasked with watching as much basketball as you can. You better believe it. It's a, fi- <laughs> it's a five-year term, and, okay. and that's if you don't have a, you know, you don't get fired or change jobs or something right, like that, but right. if, you, if you play out the whole thing, it's a five-year term, and I did, I did all five years. I was really fortunate to be with great people on the committee. We had former coaches. We had, we had a great mix of folks. I think the the four chairmen that preceded me was Mike Slive, Commissioner of the mm-hmm. SEC, was my first year. Gene Smith from Ohio State, Dan Guerrero from UCLA, mm-hmm. Jeff Hathaway from UConn, and then I was the next guy up. So I was wow. I was honored to be in that company. I mean, it was a it was a heck of a deal. But you know, early on, my first year, I'll never forget this because I, I I didn't want to be. I was the only new guy on the committee the first year. So I was the, there was nine returnees and me. So I was like, I'm not going to show up in that room and not be prepared. I'm going to know my stuff. So I watched, I mean, I watched games till, I mean, till I couldn't see straight. And I took <laughs> notes and I, and I had, I had a guy work with me in the office, you know, just, he would do all these stats things for me. We yeah. meet every week and go over it. So I walked in that room and I mean, I killed it. I mean, I really, I thought, I mean, I did a good job my first year. In fact, Sly pulled me aside at, at in selection week in Indy and he said, because you know what, if somebody was in this room, they'd have no idea this is your first year. So I wish I That's took, as a, took yeah. as a big compliment, but uh, but it was. I mean, literally, you know, I, you very rarely watched wall to wall games, you know, because you, you kill yourself. You right. try to watch all forty minutes or however, you know, two hours of every every game, but you'd watch significant chunks of games and lots of them. And, and as the year went on, you started to figure out, okay, who are the real players here? And you'd go out of your way to make sure you watched more of those games, to particularly out of region, because yeah, you know, we don't see the West Coast very often. It's you know, particularly when you're in the Eastern Time Zone, so you got to really work to be able to be fair. You know, mm-hmm. when, when it comes down to it, you can't only talk 
intelligently be about the teams that are in your region. Sure. You got to be able to talk intelligently about teams that are all around the country. So it, it's a it's a challenge for sure, but it's it's a it's a great one. And when you walk in the selection process room that that week, uh, that's the culmination of you know several th- three or four in person meetings, countless phone calls with conferences with your with your colleagues on the committee. I mean, it's it, it's not just a, a three or four day thing. You show up and hey, let's pick some teams. It's I mean, it's a process that begins the, before the ball even goes up in November. Uh, you, you're you're laying the groundwork for how you're going to do this thing. Do you get paid to do that? No, get paid a nickel. It's a it is a volunteer activity, and uh, and and the, I'll tell you what, the year that I chaired, the the time commitment was so extreme uh, that you have to. I mean, I went to my boss and said, hey, you know, to the president, I said, hey, this this is the way this is going to be. I said, I've got a great right hand guy here with me. He'll, he'll keep the thing afloat, but I'm going to be gone a lot, and I was gone a lot. I was I was literally gone. I think that year. Like working days, I think forty-five working days. I was not wow. in the office. Wow. I mean, that, that, that's not weekends. That's like Monday through Fridays. I mean, and that's, that's uh, just to get the field together. Yeah, and and most of the games. So what what percentage? I mean, I mean, I'm sure you watch as much on TV as possible. But how many? So you're going to a lot of games. You're on the road trying to get to as many gyms as possible. Particularly that last year, when when you're the chair guy, when the, when you're the chairman, you don't have you don't have a specific conference assignment. Every okay. other year that you go through the, the four years that that I wasn't the chair, I'd be assigned like I had the Big Ten twice during my okay. four years leading up to it, uh, or I had and I had the ACC one year, and I had so you kind of and, and you get three or four conferences around the country, uh, three primary, four secondary. So you actually have seven that you're paying attention to wow. uh, and if you're and if they're in your region you try and get to some of them you don't travel a ton if you're just that guy but when yeah. you're when you're the chairman and i know mark hollis at michigan state is the chair this year and he's everywhere and that's mark yeah. mark mark does that yeah uh, but i got to i mean i went to the jimmy v i went to i went to tournaments all around the country early in the year to see I went to the champions classic that was in atlanta that year so i i made sure i saw as many teams as i could because I, there's nothing to me like you can watch it on tv but when you see it I mean, you just there's a different feel. You get a different appreciation for what those teams are made of and what their kind of what their character and their their makeup is. I think it's a. I think it. I, I saw a lot of games in person. Yeah. So tell us, as an athletic director, how you watch a game and what's going through your head while you're watching it, regardless of the sport. I'm sure you're you care about them all, so it doesn't matter. But basketball game a woman's basketball game a football game and you're sitting there watching and what are you thinking you know what I, it, it's a great question Larry and it's and it's an interesting thing I, I I think I've I have always been one to watch how people perform in pressure situations I mean that's that's the thing that I watch more than anything is can, can do people have the capacity whether you're coaching or you're playing to rise up at the big moments and to, and to not fold when it matters the most and, I, and that's that's what I watch for, uh, you know, and, and, and who can help other people do that? I mean, is it just about them rising up at that moment, or can they, do they bring others with them? And that, that, that to me, is the magic of, of sport, and that's, that's the, the truly successful teams, individuals, coaches, you name it, they have, they have that unique ability at the biggest moments to, to be at their best, and that's what I, I'm always looking for that. I mean, you don't, you don't always see it, but, I, but that's what I'm looking for. That's, that's, that's really for. interesting because I said, and I'm, I'll be 70, in 10 days, I said uh, after Sunday, I said there's nothing that can be done that can ever beat that in my lifetime. It cannot be done. If you want you want an argument about Brady, have your argument, but he's the best. If you want an argument about he's Belichick, right. he's the best. Now, now, and I was alive for Lombardi and Walsh and Montana 
and you just go down the list. But that was it. That that now that was it, and he and he and he just said it. You know, those are people who, when the game was on the line, boy, did they ever come through. They delivered. And, yep. And that kid from Kent State wasn't bad at Edelman. How about that catch? But I'm I'm just saying that's a. You know, there's no arguments left there. So. No, and, and, and I, I, I still, to this day, and I've been around this stuff now for 30-plus years, but I get half chills when, when somebody when somebody's able to do, like, magic things at those moments. It's like, wow, that is so cool. Yeah, I mean, like LeBron's block. Yeah, those kind of plays. It's like, just like you go, what, did anybody see a shot last night? Full, they won a game 140 to 135. <laughs> Two seconds left in the game. Love sends him a full court pass from the baseline to the other baseline. One dribble back to the basket, falling out of bounds, banks in a three pointer to send it to overtime. Yeah. And then, you know, and you see that stuff. He's like, well, and that's what separates. That's what separates yeah. those guys and makes them the greats is they can do it when it matters the most. Yeah. And, you know, in, in any era, you have those guys that rise to the top. And then th- those collective groups, they compose the argument for the best of all time. So. Well, I wanted to turn uh, the attention to since you've been here at Purdue, yeah. and you walk in the doors. There's a big building getting constructed here on uh, right next to Mackey and on on the side of the Mollenkopf building. Uh, talk a little bit about that, the football performance center. Um, all of us who have been here a while, it's a it's a sight for sore eyes. We are so excited for it and so excited for what it's going to mean to our football program. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm grateful that. Uh, that, that that Morgan and the and the administration here at Purdue were able to to greenlight that project when they did, and that people were willing to step forward and help us get that done because it's 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 much needed for sure. I mean, just in terms of a day to day environment that our guys will feel like, hey, we 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 have a, a serious commitment to to playing championship level football here. It's not it's not, we're not talking about it anymore and saying but but go over here and live in this sort of substandard housing. And, right, uh, right. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll kind of fake it a little bit. Uh, I think it sends a, a, a very loud message to, to everybody involved with our football program that, hey, we're we're in this thing for real. Uh, it's exciting to see it. I look out my window every day, and it's, you know, it's coming to life right before our eyes. It I, is. I, know our, I know our new staff, uh, Jeff Brom and his guys can't wait. Our players cannot wait for it to be, to be up and running because it's going to change. Just that you're going to walk in the place with a different feel. When, when you walk in this building, in the Mackey building, it, it's got a great feel to it. I mean, you're like it, it, it's done in a really first-class way. Uh, right now, our current football facility doesn't feel that way. That's right. just a fact of life. It right. It's kind of aged out a little bit, and that's uh, that's nobody's fault. It just has, and and I think I think that the change in, in just that and your everyday disposition and, and mindset will be noticeable when that building is ultimately up and ready to go. And I know I remember back to when we were getting ready to build or to renovate Mackey. And I remember talking about the old, our old men's basketball locker room, and I remember telling people whether it was in a summer golf tournament or just the fans that would come up and ask us about the necessity of this kind of project. Yeah. And I remember telling them, unless you stay in the same dorm room or apartment for your four or five years in college, there's no one place you're going to spend more time on campus than the locker room. You're going to spend, and our guys who attend summer school, the only breaks they get are the month of May and a couple weeks in August. So you're talking about basically 11, 10, 11 months, and every day almost you're going to be in that locker room. Yep. And so it's a it's an absolutely critical space to make sure that it's got enough space for athletes that are you know a little bit bigger than normal people right. to move around, be comfortable in. 
but also have has enough room and functionality when recruits walk in they can say look at this place and say look i can spend four or five years here no problem yeah you know the physical space that you have should match your aspirations. If you if you intend to be good, then your space ought to ought to reflect that. That's a great if, way to if, put if, it. If you intend if you intend not to be good, then your space can be whatever it's going to be. Uh, but I think it sets a tone. It sends a message. And and, and again, I've my, I've always been a believer that I, I've never wanted to be the the place that's the flashiest or the fanciest. But 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 I, I damn sure I want to make sure it's it's right. It's sharp. It's nice. It's professional. It and it looks like we care. It looks like we matter. And we we've got the right things in place for us for our teams. I've always said it, and I've always been wrong. That Imagine the, that. <laughs> the, the, veteran, the veteran sports announcer comes through again. But it's about the sustainment of uh, sustaining uh, the financial commitment that uh, Power Five conferences and others um, have to make to stay afloat in today's world. I mean, if I mean, you and I are old enough that we go back to a different era. And I go back to an era when I first came to uh, Lafayette and came to Purdue in 1977 when I'm, you know, I'm making almost the same amount of money as Coach Katie is. So, and that's that's where we start. Right. And then, you know, you go 40 years and, you know, I'd be making his first three days or whatever. Right. But it just seems to me, and, and I've said this, I said about baseball salary, I said it about football, basketball. This is not sustainable, and every time I've made that comment, you've been wrong. I've been wrong every yeah. single time. Well, so, so I say to you, Mike, as part of this and seeing part of this, can can this can this war on dollars continue? I mean, it just seems like, like there's so much money involved. I, you know, I, I'm and I'm not, I'm with you, Larry. I I don't I don't think anybody in my in my role relishes that 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 reality that we've been chasing those types of things for so long i don't know that the rate of increase and sort of the pace of change can is sustainable it's not i mean i just don't think the world's around us is changing the media world's changing who knows what the next set of of, of those agreements because they've become such a big part of how everybody finances their programs right. these days particularly at our level and we're we're yeah. so fortunate in the big 10 with 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 the agreements that, uh, that that Commissioner Delaney and everyone have has been able to to craft for us, I mean, it, it really provides us with a tremendous platform from a financial perspective. But if that changes at some point, I mean, reality sets in in a hurry. Uh, it's a that, that's a whole different ball game, and uh, I, I think all of us need to be aware that you you know you don't want to just chase forever because if if at some point, you know, sort of the input changes then, then then the the back end reality changes in a, in a big way but having said that then there's this correlation between money and um, athletic success at universities not only for the sports department but of course for the entire you know university and it, it's it's a proven fact that you get enough uh, touches out there enough impact uh, it helps everything. Helps enrollment. I, I mean, it's it has an incredible impact on how your school, how good your athletic departments are. Sure, and and right or wrong, you know, athletics is one of those things. I mean, there's a section in the newspaper and, and in the media every day that's devoted to athletics. Not right. every not right. everything has it. That's I mean, you can argue whether that's right or wrong, but it is. Right. And so the impact that we have, at, particularly at schools at our level, at Purdue's level, you know, the way that people feel about Purdue in lots of ways is is somehow impacted by whether we're winning or losing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they just feel better about the place when things are going well. Now, you got to do it right. you got to do it the way we do it at Purdue, we, with great integrity and with all that. Uh, but if you can do all that and then win, 
boy, people start feeling a lot better, and they they want to be closer to the school. They want to be around it more. That's a they want to wear more Purdue gear. Yeah, all, and knowing that works. And knowing you're a great academic institution, I mean that, that 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 doesn't really factor in at the moment because you can be a you can be a have a great profession, and it's part of your being a Purdue degree. And yet, when you lose on a particular day, it's like exactly. Well, it's, I, I hate existing. It's amazing <laughs> when I when I worked at Kansas and Duke, and I would introduce myself to people for the first time, and you know, oh, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? Went to Purdue. Oh, Gene Katie. Oh, yeah. What's he like? You know, that was that nine times out of ten. That's the next thing that came out of their mouth was Coach Katie, because for the you know for twenty five years he was the face of this place. Exactly. And uh, like you said, Mike, you know, not saying it's right or wrong. That's just reality and. I did want to. You mentioned the Big Ten and the Big Ten Network. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you about that. The, I guess your perception of the league and the Big Ten Network from the outside, and now your perception on the other side of the fence, and how that maybe that is different. Sure. I, I would tell you that from the outside, you everybody has a great respect for the Big Ten. I mean, everybody. I, I came from the ACC uh, most recently, and and I think we did a lot of things right. And we have, a, I think our two conferences have as similar a feel as there is from mm-hmm. the types of quality of institution and all that. But the Big Ten is sort of like that monolith. It's, it's like General Motors. I mean, it's, yeah. like, it's, like, it's like that big, powerful entity uh, that, that just does things in, in a, at a little bit different level than everybody else. And as I see it now firsthand, uh, that's how I experience it. And that's, that's how I've experienced it. And in every Big Ten gathering that I've been in, there's a different vibe there's a different feel than any place i've been before and, and really an amazing sense of hey we, we we have each other's back we we all we need each other for this thing to be successful uh there's there's obviously great competition when it's when it's game day it's you know we're it's right. all about that but but on a day-to-day basis in, in the meeting room there is a, a a collaborative feel and a, and a collegiality that doesn't exist everywhere else people are really supportive of each other it's really healthy actually it's, a, it's as healthy a conference environment as i've ever seen and i've been around them for a long time now that's a very very interesting to yep. hear so um well before we get to our final four questions here for you i, I wanted to ask you one more question about um since you've been here just your thought i know you've seen games in Mackey before yeah. but now kind of being as uh, part of the Golden Black family, you know, what are your thoughts of just the atmospheres we've had this year? We've we've got two good ones coming up, I promise you, with Michigan State and Indiana, but we've had some really good moments so far in Mackey this year. I think it's awesome. I mean, I really do. It's 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 a positive, upbeat. I, our students are great. I, I it's I I think I think there are very few places that 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 are that do it any better. I mean, it's really really good. It's loud. It's it's all those things. I I I love our game environment. I think it's really good. Yeah, we're. Uh, we're pretty spoiled. Sometimes we we go on the road and we forget how good we have it. Yeah. But uh, and and like I said, looking forward to the Michigan State game, uh, Rutgers here on Valentine's Day, and then Indiana on Senior Night. So three good games to close. Okay, so we'll wrap up uh, this podcast with our final four. We have four questions that we ask everybody that, that visits the podcast. So, uh, first question is, what is the best or latest book you've read that you would recommend to somebody? The best or latest? Well. I would tell you, I, I'm a, a lifelong reader of a certain type of book, and my mom got me going on this years ago. It's kind of like the espionage mystery kind of thing. Uh, so I, I read a couple of authors all the time. Uh, one guy just passed away, unfortunately, Vince Flynn. He, he, he writes in that world. Uh, a guy named Brad Thor, uh, 
Grisham does some of that right, also. Right. Uh, anything that those guys write, I like. And I, and I, I so we during Christmas break, I, we had a chance to get away for a little bit. I read four books during during my uh, really week, there you week go. Out. And I haven't done that in, in I can't in twenty five <laughs> years. I mean, I, I didn't think I could still do it, but it, but it was it was awesome. And I and I just I just get into those things. I escape in those. See, uh, he was feeling the pressure, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that is great though to be able to when you pick up um, David Baldacci's another one all those guys oh, yeah. all those guys in that world I, when I you pick up a fiction book like that and you can just like zone out for a while it is it is fantastic and I think the probably the equivalent of that now for younger people and not not that I'm old by any stretch of the imagination but it's like now people pick their phones up yeah. and I'm guilty of that too yeah. But there's something about when you get into a book and you can just kind of drift away. That's a that's a pretty cool thing. It, it is. is. I agree. Okay. The second question is, what is your go-to music of choice? Ooh, baby. I'm uh, I am eclectic when it comes to music. I like every. I, I, I've for years I was a country hater. Now I love country. Um, uh, being from the Northeast, uh, you got to be a Springsteen guy. Right. It's kind of part, it's a requirement. Right. So I've I've seen him probably ten times live. Okay. So cool. I'm, I'm, I'm into that. Uh, but I, but I, more than anything right now, I probably lean towards country, and that, that that's where I head. Very similar to Coach Painter in that regard. He yeah. grew up in '80s rap, and now he's ouch, uh, ouch. Now, yeah, and now he's uh, now he's really into country. Well, so. it just goes back to my story of my disc jockey days when I was working at station. And we were doing top forty, and a guy called me into the office, Mr. Fritz, said. Uh, I just want to let you know that starting Monday, we're going to start spinning country. And I am uh, from <laughs> Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm working down in Paducah, Kentucky, and I kind of look at him. He was from Mississippi. And uh, I said, well, Mr. Fritz, uh, no offense, but I'm not much of a country dude, you know. And he goes, okay, just want to let you know that Monday, that's what you're going to be doing. And I said, well, do I have any choices here? said, so, no, you don't have none. I mean, you're either doing it or you're heading out the door. <laughs> I said, well, Mr. Fritz, I'll become one of your best country and <laughs> Country it is. Are, really? Country it is. So the next day I'm spinning Cal Smith and Hello Country Bumpkin. I got frost on my pumpkin. <laughs> and here I am. And he told me, I had a guy, my great friend and mentor, Ed Taylor, who just passed uh, about a month ago. He said, Ed said, he took me aside and he said, hey, listen. You spin that stuff just like you've been doing top 40. And in two weeks, you'll be like flipping your foot. <laughs> you'll be jumping up and down. You'll have the same bounce in your step. It's the same stuff, man, and you'll love it. So, you know, here I am three weeks later. Loretta Lynn, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I hear you. I hear you. It's easy to do. Okay, so what uh, what is another profession that you could do if you could pick anything and um, there's no – you wouldn't have to train or anything. This is just like a magic wand kind of thing. Like wave mm. the wand and you're doing something else. Wow. I think I'd like to be a pilot. Really? really? Yeah. yeah I, th- I think that's the, the most amazing thing in the world. You jump into some uh, something here and you, you, you know, hour and a half later, you're, it is you're, amazing. you're, you're yes. however far, many miles away. And it's just, I, I think that, that, that's got to be a really cool feeling to be well, able to fly an aircraft. You're at the right school. I know that. And I know that. I, I, I got a full dose of that plane during the football surge, so I, got, I was fascinated <laughs> by that. <laughs> we, uh, when we travel, um, Larry always times the flights. We take off, and I hear that little beep back there. He sets his watch, and then when we land, he'll, he'll lean forward 46 minutes or whatever the flight time was. That's, that's our flight routine with him. But it's amazing when we travel – 
how many pilots that we come across that are yeah. Purdue grads? And it yeah. could be charter pilots or commercial pilots. I know we've been on a handful of commercial flights, uh, especially when we go to the preseason tournaments. We, if we go to a Maui or a place like that, and the pilot will come on and say, "Hey, proud Purdue grad. Good luck to my Boilermakers this week as they, you know, compete in the Maui Invitational." And, and that's always really cool to know that there's so many uh, Boilermakers in the aviation field. So the part that I left out, though, that it would be a pilot of my own plane, which which is a big problem. <laughs> yeah. The pilot part is a lot more realistic than my own plane part. Yeah, but we said it didn't have to be realistic. <laughs> there you, you go. You got your own. Yeah. You, you want it? You got it. The magic yeah. wand says you got your own plane. Okay. Final question is: What is one thing that nobody knows about you or not many people know about you mm. a very under the radar fact and be careful because we have a huge audience huge and so though it'll <laughs> stick with them well i've said this before here and it uh and so it maybe is more widely known now that i'm a i'm a big dirt track racing fan now that would surprise me yeah you know, that's why yeah and you're in a pretty so you good know the Eldora racetrack. Absolutely, Tony Stewart's place. There yeah. you go. Hey, you're in a pretty good spot for that, right? Yeah, pretty good. And where and where we were in Georgia, literally, we had a little farm south of Atlanta, and within a mile of that place, and it, this was by pure chance. There was a, a little five eighths mile dirt track where most Saturday nights you'd find me with really? our pick, pickup truck backed up against the fence. I'll be done. Maybe, <laughs> maybe a cooler with some beverages in there. A little lemonade. With, with dirt all over me. I, I, it was it was great fun. And I said, we, wow. we met all the locals. It, it so was, what's the origin of that? You know, growing up on Long Island, there were three short track asphalt tracks. And my dad took me when I was you know, yay big. That's one of the things he liked doing. And there was a Polish guy like like us that was a great driver and he won and won and won so I kind of got hooked on going to watch this guy so we would go from one track on Friday night to another one on Saturday night and then when my guys and I got old enough to drive we'd do the same thing wow and so, so it started way back then that's outstanding now that, I've, do you like any other racing are you into NASCAR or IndyCar or anything like that you know what I, I like I like all I like all racing I mean I'm, I'm Indy's such a unique deal. I mean, have my, you been to the I've, 500? I've been to the 500 okay. way back one, one time. One time in the uh, when I was working at Notre Dame, some, some some Notre Dame folks brought brought us down to the deal, and it was and it was awesome. It was what a spectacle it was. But I, my one of my college teammates is the general manager of Kentucky Speedway NASCAR track, and he, you know there he works for Bruton Smith, who owns Bristol and mm-hmm. lots of Texas, and so I he's taking me to all those places. So wow. I have a chance to see, and we go to the drivers meeting the whole bit. I just, yeah, do the whole thing. That is a cool deal. Well, yeah. I, I've been to the last, I, I want to say I'm going on a streak here of 20-some straight 500, so it's a wow. big big tradition wow. in our family. How we many for your dad? Boy, I think my dad's Plus been Plus 40, huh? Oh, at least, yeah. yeah. At he least was, since he, he has stories of my grandpa smuggling, smuggling him into the infield in a cooler. <laughs> get down, I'm closing the top. Just hold your breath until we get in here, and then we'll open it back up. <laughs> So that is really cool. Well, those are great answers there to those questions. So we appreciate that. Well, this has been uh, episode uh, fourteen of our podcast, and yeah, we but you were... forgot you. What I forget? Gene Katie bobblehead. I just got it. Well, we talked but about you for... that, but you forgot the obvious question to him. What? Hey, Mike, it's been a pleasure having you. We hope you'll continue to have us employed here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're hoping the gift basket does that. Oh, we yeah, have a lovely, exactly. yeah, the gift a lovely basket. gift basket that we give to every guest that comes on. And it's full of goodies. It might, may or may not be full with a little cash at the bottom. We don't, <laughs> we don't know anything about that. But, uh, but, but thanks for yeah, thanks for show. being with us, Mike. Oh, this was, this, was, this was great. So, athletics director Mike Bobinski has joined us here on Purdue Basketball Podcast. 
Appreciate you all listening. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.